Heavenly Father, oh, again, we're, we're overwhelmed, Heavenly Father, by your mercy and your grace when we just consider that you've exhorted us to come boldly, boldly to the throne of grace, to receive, to receive all that you would pour out into our open and waiting hearts and hands. And so, Father, we just rejoice in that, and we're so thankful. We're thankful for all things, because we know you're the one who is sovereign, and there is no other like you. There can never be another taking your place, not in our hearts. We're so thankful for that. You've sealed us with the Holy Spirit, and we are bound, therefore, into an eternity looking forward to great great blessing when this short life here has come to an end and father i just thank you that you've uh, worked all things together for our good and though the times are hard and for some very difficult now and perhaps getting much worse even soon father i i pray that you'd continue to guide us direct us Encourage us, give us wisdom for the day and hour, for living in uh, the darkness is something your saints have long experienced and endured, because indeed your children are the lights, Father, and the lights shine even more brightly in contrast to the darkness. So, Father, I just thank you that as the darkness grows, our lights uh, may be seen by even more. I pray that they would come and ask questions and that we would be enabled to boldly give them the answers and with a loving and kind response. And though there's so much blindness, Father, and uh, the lies seem ever more subtle as the enemy uh, truly is uh, the most subtle creature ever ever to uh, guide and lead humanity astray beginning way back there uh, early in genesis so father i just thank you that we're able to gather today to share these precious truths we're thankful that our lord jesus is indeed coming soon and will we'll catch us up um, to be with him in heaven's glory, meeting first in the air there and uh, with all of our loved ones who've gone behind and in faith believing. Father, I, I, I thank you that we have opportunity to reach out and there are so many lost that you bring us in contact with and others in confusion and lies of the enemy. But uh, Father, I, I, I pray for Rex's request and Benita's regarding Sima, who has lost two children to cancer and bears a, a burden of... We're so thankful for all the blessings we have, Father, and for this gathering this morning and the joy that we have, really, in joining together as a group of believers using this technology that you've provided Pray that all would go well and that our hearts would be open and that we would receive the truth that's been 
provided to us, Heavenly Father, by your uh, spirit as the word of truth was breathed out and put on the written page and then preserved for us even to the current day. So, Father, we just thank you and praise you in Christ's name and amen. First theme was how the inspiration of Genesis is uh, highlighted in every New Testament writer and is foundational for the faith. The second theme was the sovereignty of God reflected on every page in Genesis. The third theme is our weakness reveals God's strength. <laughs> A theme we find throughout the book of Genesis. <laughs> and it is indeed a most wonderful theme. So let's uh, let's begin by um, actually Gail reading those first verses there uh, that really I consider to be the theme verses for this entire study, the last uh, few uh, meetings. So Gail? Genesis 50, verses 18 through 20. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is in this day, to save much people alive. Thank you, Gail. So those verses state this theme so clearly that uh, with God, our weakness reveals his strength. That's his choice. And what we did so far was to use Hebrews 11 and that list found there as our outline. So in Hebrews 11, there are eight, what I call them, <laughs> are exemplars, examples, but the word exemplar is, is much more than an example. So eight exemplars of our faith stand before us. We've already considered many of them, and then there are eight more listed. Uh, and today we'll uh, finish up with uh, the last two in the first eight, which would be, of course, Jacob and Joseph. The others in the list are Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel. Now, it's very interesting to consider that list since some are not included that you certainly would expect to be there. <laughs> well, like, for example, Job. <laughs> Why isn't Job there? Very interesting. Anyway, it says there at the end of chapter 11, verse 13, it says, these all, after giving that long list, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. In other words, they lived their entire lives 
suffering uh, the consequence, really, of what the Lord God said to Adam right after he had sinned. You know, what had the Lord God said to Adam right after he sinned? Well, in Genesis chapter 3, read from verses 6 and then some verses after that, to sort of set the stage for our whole study today, right? Genesis 3, 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit, therefore, and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Verse 14 and 15, and then 17 and 18 and 19. The Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Verse 17, unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. So here we see very strongly stated what the theme of the entire Bible is really that with God, our weaknesses reveal his strength. You see that there because you see that the life of mankind due to Adam's sin would be a life where weakness was manifested every day in many ways, right? There would be no alternative to that. So, um, Adam would, in the sweat of his face, eat bread. That's nothing at all like what it was in the garden where they walked around and, and picked off the fruit uh, as they so desired. And it was a time where they were not farmers. <laughs> they were not uh, shepherds. They were uh, merely partakers. God provided everything that they had need of so well in the garden. But when they're cast out, uh, it's no longer in any way similar. So, but note that when God put this curse upon Adam and his offspring and, and also upon their enemy, Satan, manifesting himself as a serpent, right? Notice when he did that, he also gave a promise of redemption yet to come. And that's in verse 15. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise 
his heel. So, so there was hope given even then through the seed of the woman, even at the beginning of sin and rebellion, even when the curse upon Adam was initially announced, there was a promise for the future through the seed of the woman. And indeed, that is uh, in one statement, the summary of the entire biblical account and also represents the theme that uh, we've chosen here uh, to focus on for a while, which is with God, our weakness even reveals his strength. So you see how this is sort of a corollary of the initial theme, which was God's sovereignty revealed on every page. Now, Paul wrote about this hope in great, great detail, did he not? (laughs) Much later in his letters, where he defines the ultimate purpose of the Lord God's eternal plan through resurrection, right? So this is in 1 Corinthians 15.22, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So it would be the very condition that fallen man found himself in where God would provide an opportunity for redemption through his great love. Paul writes about it in Romans 5 and in many other places so powerfully. I'll just read a couple of verses from Romans 5 and then we'll go on boldly into the subject today in Genesis. But in Romans 5, verse 19, we read these powerful words. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So even Satan's greatest act of rebellion would be used to bring redemption through the seed of the woman, right? Um, In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul writes this, these amazing words, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Ah, So, even the arch enemy of God and ourselves, Satan, with all of his wisdom and power, was not able to thwart the plan of Almighty God. For God has chosen to work with sinners such as ourselves to reveal his eternal power and glory, and he does it through the completed work of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is indeed the seed of the woman. Oh, my. Well, we've already looked at these initial 
names uh, listed there in Hebrews 11, and we found them, of course, all in the first chapters of Genesis. We looked at Abel. With Abel, God provided a path of fellowship with sinners through, through a more excellent sacrifice, you remember. Then we went on to Noah. Noah preached a coming judgment that had never been seen before, namely floods falling from heaven upon this earth to bring judgment to all except for those that God had redeemed with the ark, right? And that's, uh, of course, uh, Noah and his family, right? Um, so even in the preaching of a coming judgment, redemption was promised as well. And that's how, how this goes. The judgment creates the very environment within which God will work out redemption, ultimately. Isn't that just the most wonderful thing to, con to consider? I mean, do we consider that happening in our own lives? I mean, what about all the trials and tribulations that come upon God's people that come upon us, right? Do we consider them to be sort of the raw material, as it were, of how God will bring great blessing? We should. We should. If God would enable us, it would be a wonderful thing, and that's what he seeks to do, right? Well, the next person singled uh, out in these lists was Abraham. He was called to walk by faith where no one had walked before. <laughs> well, they had walked there before through the desert, whatever, in in that land uh, was already being uh, possessed and killed. And, and it was the, uh, the domain of others, right, who certainly walked there before, but they never walked by faith. Abram was the first one called to walk by faith where no one walked before in that land. And we read about it uh, and looked at it very carefully in Genesis chapter 12 and following. And uh, I'm not going to say more about it now. You remember it all well. But I will say one thing more about Abraham. And you remember how he offered up his son as a sacrifice, believing what God had told him. And that's that through that son, he would have a great offspring that couldn't even be counted, like the stars of the heavens and the sand of the seashore, right? And so Abraham, by faith, offered up his own son. And uh, so what an example he was for his son, Isaac. I'm sure Isaac never lived through a day. I wonder whether he ever lived through an hour without thinking about lying bound on an altar on the top of a mountain with his father hovering over him with a knife in his hand in the process of sacrificing his own son, right? But the Lord God intersected. He intervened. And that gave the rest of the story, right? Then Abraham, being such an example of faith, 
with promises already given to him that now would apply to his son and his sons and so forth, uh, he blesses Jacob. Now you remember the circumstances of that. Jacob exhibits great weakness. In fact, he seeks to take the place of his elder brother, Ishmael, right? And so Abraham blesses his son, Isaac, and then in time, as Isaac then himself grows older, much older, he then blesses his son, Jacob. And it's an amazing story. And that takes us right to where I want to be today, to consider Jacob and uh, his life of frailty, weakness, rebellion, and sin. And yet, God would make all of that the very uh, basis for his great blessing. So our outline today is, first of all, Jacob, he makes a vow to Almighty God, if God will be with me. What an amazing thing. Then Jacob, the Lord changes Jacob's name to Israel, meaning a prince with God. Then we look at Joseph. He hopes against hope for the blessed nation by the visitation of Almighty God, by the visitation of Almighty God. Then Israel, he dies with the hope of a future resurrection in the land of promise. And finally, Joseph, he reaffirms Israel's national heritage in his final words of testimony. So these are all examples of how God uses the weakness of man to reveal his glorious power and strength. So first of all, Jacob, he makes a vow to Almighty God. What is the vow? If God will be with me. Okay, I'd like Patty to read those verses in Genesis chapter 28, verses 20 through 22. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going, And give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give you, give a tenth to you. So here it is in the realm of Jacob's flesh, in the realm of his flesh, he makes a vow to Almighty God, a conditional one. He's not taking the Lord God, the God of his father, the God of his grandfather for his own personal Lord. No, he's saying if. And he's this is very arm's length indeed, right? If you, meaning God out there, right? If you will be with me and keep me in the way that I go and give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, 
then shall the Lord, the one out there, right, be my God. It's the most amazing, amazing thing. Uh, I just keep thinking about Jacob and his life during those years, growing up in the household of his father Isaac with his grandfather Abraham living elsewhere, but uh, certainly well known, right? Certainly he knew that the Lord God was Isaac's and Abraham's personal and faithful God. He knew that, right? He knew how God had blessed them and kept them through every trial of life, right? He knew that, and yet he was not taking the one true God for his own. I'm just amazed to think of how he must have felt all those years living really in unbelief. I mean, what kinds of doubt were, were just overshadowing every day and every hour. I mean, he lived in fear then for his own life, right, as he grew and matured and had a family of his own, uh, suffering many trials under Laban, right? But he came forth with a, not only two wives, but a great uh, number of blessings, right? But he came out into a land of conflict with constant fear that his own brother, who had promised to kill him, right? His own brother Esau, would Esau succeed? Or would the Lord God protect him? And so the promise, the vow is, if he will protect me, and he's thinking, of course, mostly about Esau, um, then I will take you as my own God, as my father has and as my grandfather has. So the theme here is that through great weakness, God is working and manifesting his strength. And that Jacob would dare to vow to God in this way only indicates, I think, how far away from the Lord he was. I mean, he was so far away from the Lord, he didn't even feel um the pain of separation from God. Rather, he wanted to keep God at a distance. But this is not going to be allowed by God to continue much longer. <laughs> he will no longer be allowed to live in the shadow of his father's and grandfather's great faith. No, God will not allow it. And so we get to the same <laughs> Point where we've been before looking at this from a different angle from the point of view of the sovereignty of God and that's that the Lord changes Jacob's name now to Israel meaning a prince with God it's one of the most remarkable set of verses anywhere in the Bible and that's in Genesis 32 I'm going to quickly read that for you Genesis 32 1 and Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. Oh, God is not taking his eye off of Jacob. Let me read that again. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is, the, is God's host. And he called the name of that place Menahim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall ye speak unto my lord Esau. Thy servant Jacob saith thus, 
I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now. And I have oxen and asses, flocks and men servants and women servants. And I have sent to tell my Lord that I might find grace in thy sight. And the messengers returned unto Jacob, sorry, unto Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee, and four hundred men with him. This is not what Jacob wanted to hear. Clearly, Esau. is plotting to destroy Jacob and his entire family, right? How otherwise could he take that response? Okay. Then Jacob was greatly afraid. Well, you can see why. Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and and he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and herds and the camels into two bands and said, If Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. Oh, his human mind is working overtime, right? At least we save half. <laughs> Maybe. And Jacob said, O oh God of my father Abraham. Oh, now jo- Jacob's going to call out to the Lord, who's still at a distance. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, the God of my father Isaac, the Lord, which saidst unto me, return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. So he's reminding God of what he had said to him. Remember, he was on the way to that far country to find a wife, and he slept his head on a stone, and the angels of God ministered to him in his dream, and the great promise was given, right, that God would keep him and and bless him. So what is he, how's, how's he responding now? Verse 10, and the, these are most wonderful indeed. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant for with my staff i passed over this jordan and now i am become two bands in other words he in unbelief in in his own fleshly scheming he's now created a plan which split up the company into two groups etc right so he's certainly not worthy of all the mercies and the truth the lord has given right and so he says in verse 11, Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. And thou saidest, he's reminding the Lord even more, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. And he lodged there that same night and took of that, of that which came to his hand a present for Esau, his brother. So I've singled out verse 10. I'd like Lydia to read that for us. I think it is, in this whole section, the one verse, if you were ever to forget verses and find them difficult to remember, don't forget this one, okay? Lydia, would you please read for us Genesis 32, 10? 
I am not worthy of the least of all mercies and all, and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over the Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Okay, thanks, Lydia. So there in one verse is our theme stated so well that it is through human weakness that the Lord God will work. I mean, he's been working in Jacob's life, and yet he's uh, still considering him to be at a distance. Only if the Lord does what he has promised can Jacob then worship him and take him to be his own personal Lord and God, right? Notice he mentions dividing up the group into two bands. And then he mentions his staff, okay? The staff becomes the sign or mark of Jacob's humanity, of his deep failure to believe and trust in the Lord God Almighty. But but the very staff that ultimately will allow him just the opposite of that, a full trust in God Almighty. And that's uh, certainly how he's going to end his life, resting on the staff and worshiping the Lord God, because he's been marked, he's been marked, and he will testify that he belongs to the Lord God. Oh, what a precious thing. So he gets up now, splits up the group, and, uh, you know, he's sending off um, uh, gifts and offerings to somehow placate Esau. Uh, it's a very fleshly response. But these words are most wonderful here as he continues there. The author of Genesis, probably Moses, you know, is writing what Jacob must have told him. How else could Moses know any of this, right? No one else knew about it. Jacob was all alone, right? What does it say? Genesis 32, 22. He took them and sent them over the brook and sent over all that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall no more be called Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. The name of God. Very special thing. And he wouldn't give it to Jacob. It says he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. 
And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore, the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. So here we see that Jacob was truly alone. <laughs> he thought, he thought he was completely wrong in that consideration. <laughs> he wasn't alone at all. He sent his entire life away, breaking up into two groups for added safety, and he had stayed behind. Fear was motivating him again, fear of Esau. He wants to defend his family, but in his heart, he's in a turmoil. He's doubting the promises of God directly spoken to him, and he's fearful of the coming of 400 armed men with Esau, and so he trusts in his own long-earned strength and wisdom as the patriarch of his family. But he retreats to a private place and reconsiders it all very, very carefully. <laughs> and what does he do but wrestles all night with this man, now he knows this man is, in fact, God. It's God, the Lord God he's wrestling with, right? He knows in his heart that it's the Lord God with whom he's struggling. That's made clear from these very words, quote, And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Oh, who could bless him except the Lord God, right? So he knows it's the Lord God. The very next words, though, that he hears must have cut him to it, the heart. Because what does the Lord God say to him? He says, what is thy name? Now, these are, this is immediately after Jacob has said, I will not let you go except you bless me. So he asks for his name. His name is Jacob, which means the supplanter, the one who uh, takes the place of another, who has the right even to the blessing. <laughs> As he had stolen his own brother's birthright and a blessing through subtleties, right? And uh, so... His name means exactly what his nature now indicates, right? So he says, Jacob, meaning I'm a supplanter. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. So in changing his name, the Lord gets to the heart of our subject today, which is how God's strength is manifested and revealed through our weakness. Here it's Jacob, the one who proves his own weakness. Rather than trusting in God, he wrestles with the Lord for a blessing, right? Trusting only in himself. But then the Lord submits to him rather than he to the Lord, right? And not only that, but the Lord gives him a new name. 
I find this really quite overwhelming, as you can see, just listening to my words today. And there's so many applications to us who live under the wealth of grace today. <laughs> they should be so clear. Jacob, the fallen sinner, has been made into a prince before Almighty God. He certainly didn't deserve any of that, right? What about you? What about me? What have we deserved, but what have we received? And what should our response be as we read these words today, taking them to heart? Well, that brings us to Joseph. Joseph hopes against hope for the blessed nation by the visitation of Almighty God. And it begins this section in chapter 48 with Jacob blessing Joseph in a most touching way. Remember, uh, Joseph brings his two sons to Jacob and he places them in front of him. And uh, there's more to the story, but basically the way that part of the story ends is that Jacob, it says wittingly or knowingly or on purpose, he crosses his arms. Now, the eldest surely was placed at his right hand. We know that from the text we read there. Okay, that's where he would have been placed because it is the eldest who gets the blessing, right? So Joseph is expecting his father to put his hands out in the normal way and the blessing will be given, right? But that's not the way it goes. He crosses his hands. And it says he does it knowingly. Joseph immediately interrupts, says, wait, you've made a mistake. You've got to bless the eldest, not the youngest. And Jacob says, I've done this knowingly. I know, I know, I know. In other words, with a prophetic motivation by the Lord God, he blesses the younger. And he knows it. <laughs> he knows that's what's happened. It wasn't by accident. It wasn't by chance. This was all done according to the uh, plan of Almighty God. So God had intervened again, placing the younger above the elder. That brings us to this section, though, where uh, in a most touching way, Jacob now called Israel, verse 8 of chapter 48, blesses them, as I just said. And I've asked um, Elizabeth to read that. The reason we want to read it, though, is that uh, it it brings us directly into the uh, to the theme for today, which is how much God uses human weakness. So, Elizabeth, would you please read that for us? Then, Lewis, right after that, will continue on. So, Elizabeth, verses 8 through 14, Lewis, verses 15 through 22. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, Please bring them to me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, 
I had not thought to see your face, but in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees, and he bowed with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manassas with his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manassas's head, guiding his heads knowingly, for Manassas was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life, long unto this day, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the last, and let my name be named on them, in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, and it displeased him, and he held his father's hand and removed it from Ephraim's head unto Manasseh's head. And Joseph said unto his father, Not so, my father, for this is a firstborn. Put thy right hand upon his head. And his father refused and said, I know, I know it, my son, I know it. He also shall come, become a people, and he shall, he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations. And he blessed them that day, saying, In thee shall Israel bless, saying, God made thee as Ephraim and as Manasseh, and he said Ephraim before Manasseh. And Israel said unto Joseph, Behold, I die, but God will be with you and bring you again unto the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to thee one portion above thy brethren, which I took out of the hand of Amorite with my sword and with my bow. It's amazing, really, to us as we read this, that he ends that great statement there uh, with those words. I give thee one portion above thy brethren, which I took out of the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. Again, if his great strength as a warrior, really, that enabled him to uh, take land uh, away from another person who at that point rightfully owned it, right? And yet he mentions that here and gives this land over to to Joseph, a special piece of land. That's important uh, later on, read uh, the history of Israel. But anyway, so it's it's just a most amazing thing, but it's not really the greatest statement of all of how God uses human weakness, namely through Jacob and now, now even Joseph, because uh, you think about Joseph's life, right, and how God uses his weakness to bring glory to himself in such a marvelous way. So I'd like Tom to read these verses for us. Tom, if you would, please, verses 22 through 26 of chapter 49. 
Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well, whose branches run over the wall. The archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him, but his bow abode in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hand of the Almighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Even by the God of thy father, who shall help thee, and by the Almighty, who shall bless thee with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lieth under, blessing of the breasts and of the womb, the blessings of thy father have prevailed above blessings of my progenitors unto the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph mm -hmm. and on the crown of the head of him that was separate from his brethren. Thank you, Tom. Uh, his brothers sold him off as a slave, right? He was separate from his brethren indeed, but God used all of this to glorify himself, his unstrengthened power ultimately. And so he dies, according to verse 33, a few verses later from where Tom read, when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. Well, that's not the end of the story because Joseph now, after much time has passed, will also die in Egypt. They all die in Egypt every last one of them not having received the blessings that had been promised, right? Because God intended to give them those blessings in resurrection, resurrecting them in the land of promise. And uh, so the way the story ends is with this great meeting here, they they take Jacob's body off and bury it in the promised land, you recall, right? With all the help and support of Pharaoh. And it was quite an entourage that traveled all the way there. And Jacob was buried there in that special place with his fathers and so forth, right? And then they come back and uh, Joseph's brothers are so sure that he's now going to have revenge against them. And then we read those words there. Chapter 50, uh, I'd like Linda to read for us, uh, closing our study today. Genesis 50, and these are theme verses here in this section as well. Genesis 50, verses 18. And if you'd go all the way to 26, please, uh, Linda. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for I am in the place of my God. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, 
to save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his and his father's house. And Joseph lived an hundred and ten years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Mus, Mus were brought up on Joseph's knee. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land onto the land which he swear, swear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Joseph took an oath unto the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died, being a hundred and ten years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Thank you, Linda. So that's how Genesis ends. He died and was put in a coffin in Egypt. But, repeated twice, God shall surely visit you. And what? Shall surely visit you and bring you out of this land into the land which he swore to Abraham. How is he going to do this? They'll be resurrected in Egypt and carried by the Lord God and placed into the land of promise that he had promised to give Abraham and his seed, right? Isn't this a most wonderful story? And yet they all died not having received the promise because because God reserves some better thing for us. That's all about the interruption in that plan for the sake of us Gentiles. This is grace, 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 I'll tell you, right? We had no promises given to us, right? <laughs> they did, right? But God interrupted that plan for this plan that we currently enjoy. So, again, it's through great weakness that uh, great grace and power is revealed. And only God, who created the plan in the first place, uh, has the power to carry it out, and uh, no other has the power to prevent him. So does that encourage us today? It surely should. Uh, God is working such incredible blessings day by day, hour by hour, and we are in the very center of his plan today, the plan of grace. Israel is not being built up the way God promised. Don't think that they are. <laughs> it's still the dust of the earth. It's still thorn and thistles. They work and they're very, very smart, and they use every kind of technology to reclaim the land. But uh, what God will do someday, perhaps soon, because if we're that close, it could be just within 10 years that he does it right, or less, that God will fulfill his promises towards the nation of Israel. Oh, praise God. Well, I think the theme of our weakness being used by God to reveal his strength should be very, very clear. We find it on nearly every page in Genesis and 
So in doing this after the theme of God's sovereignty, we necessarily reviewed again and again some of these portions of scripture. But at least I can say this. It's certainly, I hope, true for you, as it is definitely true for me. Increasingly, uh, each time in the word, God uh, writes those words on our hearts a little more firmly that we may never forget them, right? I'm going to close today by reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. Now, thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ and makes manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one, we are the savor of death unto death. To the other, the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Those were Paul's words to the Corinthians. They're his words to us today. Do we rest in the realm of his abundant grace or are we caught up in the affairs of this world? Our hope is heavenly, not earthly. Praise God. I hope you all enjoyed these words as much as I did here, taking them to heart. And they are spiritual food indeed. And should comfort us considering that God has promised and he will keep his promises, whether that's to Israel or to us. Amen. Amen. Any final comments before we close today? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for blessing us through these words again. And they're so personal, so precious, so powerful, so transforming. Do we see ourselves ever in the place of these great believers of incredible faith? Though it's always in the context of great weakness, rebellion, and sin. And yet God nevertheless accomplishes his plan. Not even sin and not even uh, the Lord's greatest enemies can stop the plan from being accomplished. So, Father, thank you again. And may every blessing uh, be considered uh, from your word and taken to heart. Even if their promise is given to others who will live at another time or who lived in the distant past. But, Father, may we understand that uh, you worked in them and through them and you will work in and through us according to the promises you've given to us as members of your body. Not according to the promises you gave to them, for they may not relate to our circumstances today, but... Father, your abundant grace and how your grace is always sufficient. May we take that to heart today and always. And may we continue to listen for the shout and greatly desire our Lord's coming. 
We thank you, Father, in Christ's name. And amen.